0: Alexander Shlopnikov represented a potential strain of communism that could accommodate institutions like trade unions as partners with the party. Not necessarily that he represented a type of communism that had real potential to vanquish Stalinism, and it wasn't an alternative necessarily to Leninism either, but it just represents all the different nuances that were within the party.
1: Hello,
2: and welcome to the SRB podcast, where in each episode we discuss Eurasian politics and history. I'm your host, Sean Gillery. I'm pleased to welcome Barbara Allen to the podcast to talk about the life and times of the old Bolshevik Alexander Shlapnikov, his revolutionary working class politics, and his tragic fate at the hands of Stalin. Barbara Allen is an associate professor of history specializing in the history of the Russian revolutionary movement and the early Soviet regime. Her research includes the history of working class opposition to the Soviet Communist Party dictatorship. Her most recent book is Alexander Shlopnikov, 1885 to 1937, Life of an Old Bolshevik, which was just released in paperback. Here's Barbara Allen. We have numerous biographies, as you well know, in English on Lenin and Trotsky and Stalin. We even have one on Bukharin and a handful on Nikolai Jov, the head of the NKBD during the terror. What attracted you to write a biography of Alexander Shlopnikov?
0: Well, Alexander Shlopnikov, was a working class member of the party who did rise to a position of prominence as the first Soviet Commissar of Labor, and he became the leader of the Workers' Opposition, which was a major oppositionist movement within the party to Lenin, while Lenin was the leader of the party before he died. Uh, and And Shlopnikov had also been close to Lenin during World War I, when the party was still in the revolutionary underground and Lenin was abroad, Shlopnikov traveled between Russia and Europe, Western Europe, and arranged a smuggling of party literature, illegal literature, across Russian borders and money and personnel as well. So I felt that he was a key figure in the revolutionary underground who was close to Lenin then. He was on the scene in 1917 during the revolution He held a prominent position in the Civil War on the front, and then he became the leader of a major opposition movement. So I thought he was a key figure whose biography had been neglected.
2: Do you feel that – so what do you think that his – a biography of him shows us about, say, the times in terms of the revolutionary underground, the revolution, and the, the early Soviet system that maybe we miss when we focus on some of the more prominent figures?
0: Well, he was tied into the Metalworkers Union, and the Metalworkers were considered to be the most conscious workers of the revolutionary movement. And I felt that a, a biog- biography of him could help to represent the role of the Metalworkers in the Underground Movement in the 1917 Revolution and then give a perspective of how perhaps not all the Metalworkers, but certainly a significant sector of them felt about the way in which the revolutionary goals and mission had changed um, in the early Soviet years.
2: So one of the things you emphasize repeatedly is, is Shalapnikov's differences from some of the worker biographies that we have, like Simon Konachnikov, um, and Nikolai Yezhov to some extent. Talk about Shalapnikov's childhood and the environment he grew up in and how it compared to these other old Bolsheviks.
0: But Shalapnikov grew up in a small town, Muram was his hometown. And it was east of Moscow, certainly well within European Russia. Uh, he was he was from a largely Russian environment. It was between Moscow and Nizhny Novgorod. So he was not a peasant. He did have family connections to the peasantry. He spent summers in a small village. And so he had those family connections. Yezhov grew up in a largely urban environment. Konachikov grew up among the peasantry, so Shlopnikov is more representative of the townspeople who became revolutionaries. Yet he also had the connection to the peasantry through family members, and he had family members who had worked in St. Petersburg in industry.
2: I also found it interesting that he was uh, from an old, an old believer family. Did, did you find that the Coming from the old believer milieu, had an influence on on him.
0: Yes, it did, and that is another key way in which he differed from a number of the other old Bolsheviks. Uh, he grew up among the old believers, and as you know, the old believers split from the official Russian Orthodox Church in the seventeenth century um, over what seemed to be questions of ritual. They were opposed to the reforms introduced into the church in the seventeenth century to bring Russian Orthodox. Practice more in line with that of Greek Orthodox practice outside of Russia. Uh, They wanted to retain the old Russian ways, which had come to diverge somewhat from practices in the Greek Orthodox Church. Yet, despite these differences being largely about ritual, the old belief became the ideology of dissent in Russia during the imperial period before socialism came to Russia. So they were rebels. They were dissidents. And he grew up in that sort of environment, that context, and they were skeptical of the Tsarist government. They were skeptical of the official Orthodox Church authorities. So he was raised to question authority and to challenge authority and stubbornly adhere to his beliefs. And of course, he did become an atheist before he became a Bolshevik. He did abandon his old belief when he began working in factories. Now,
2: He enters, he becomes a a metal, enters metalworking, or at least factory work at a really young age. He he falsifies his age. He enters at around 10, though the law, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it was 12 years old in in terms of child labor laws at the time. And he quickly gets involved in revolutionary underground activity. Uh, What experiences drove him to to join the Bolshevik cause at such a young age?
0: When he, he first did factory work during the summer, when he was about 10 years old, and he was continuing his schooling, though. He finished about, he finished three years of school, the regular primary course curriculum, and uh, after that, that's when he entered factory work full-time as an apprentice. Uh, Before he uh, entered into the factory work and after he had finished school, he made a family trip together with his mother and younger sister to Sormava which was a center of metal working at the time, and they had the new factories there, as opposed to the old ironworking factory in Murum where he had did, done a little bit of summer work. There in Sormova, where they had gone for a family event, the christening of older sister's child, there he, beca- he heard about the revolutionaries, and it seemed very mysterious to him. There were a number of arrests that were carried out while he was in Sormova, and he noticed that the Workers took care of the family members who were left after their providers had been arrested, and that he noticed that his family was supportive of the revolutionaries and didn't fear them. So, uh, this was his first experience with the revolutionaries, and it seemed somewhat mysterious to him. Then, when he started working in factories himself, he uh, heard older workers mention mysterious black books, which made the illegal literature take on this semi religious association for him, and I think that that helped to make this transition from his religious belief to involvement in the revolutionary movement um, more natural, perhaps. But uh, he started out working in Morham, but he moved quickly to St. Petersburg as a young boy, 15, 16 years old. His older brother invited him to come and work in a factory, and he happened to come there right before the great 1901 strike broke out. So as an apprentice, he became involved in that strike. He was a leader of his fellow apprentices in harassing the strike breakers and trying to prevent them from interfering with the strike. And apparently he was prominent enough as a teenager, as a boy, in leading his fellow apprentices that he was blacklisted after the strike was over, and he couldn't find work anywhere in St. Petersburg. And he really fell upon hard times for a while before he gradually made his way back to Muram. He attempted finding work in Sormova and Nizhny Novgorod, but he was suspect there as someone who had left uh, St. Petersburg in the wake of this strike. So that was very disillusioning and embittering for him because he had gone to St. Petersburg with high hopes of becoming a skilled metal worker and, you know, immersing himself in this cosmopolitan world of St. Petersburg, and then because he had challenged capital, he was banished back to his hometown of Muram. It was very embarrassing. And along the way, he g- picked up some revolutionary uh, social democratic literature and I think made a greater commitment to that way of life, to becoming a revolutionary. And uh, he, he helped to set up some underground organizations in Muram And neighboring towns. He was arrested then in 1904 and kept in jail for a while. And then upon his release, he was beaten very severely by the Black Hundreds, the local reactionaries. Um, And I think that that beating also further embittered him against the local authorities as well as the national government authorities. And so it didn't discourage him, certainly, from revolutionary activity. Instead, he just became more conspiratorial, more careful. He was arrested again in 1905. He was very militant in 1905. He did lead an armed uprising in his hometown of Murom. His activities in Murom caught the interest of higher-up Bolshevik leaders, social democratic leaders. Uh, There were reports in Iskra, the newspaper that Lenin edited, about uh, the revolutionary literature being posted in Muram. So that that must have uh, made him proud.
2: You know, it, it's interesting. One of the things you point out, which goes against the stereotype we have of the Bolsheviks as being um, a professional revolutionary party of intellectuals, but Shalotnikov, it sounds like one of the things that attracted him to the Bolsheviks is it had a lot of representation amongst working class people working within the party. Uh, talk about this stereotype on the one hand and the experience that Shalapnikov had in, in the Bolshevik Party in those early years.
0: Well, yes, we know, of course, there were a number of workers who were among the Mensheviks, too, and among the socialist revolutionaries. And it was his perception that the Bolsheviks were more closely tied to workers and that the Bolsheviks offered a greater opportunity for workers to become leaders within the party that drew him to them. And, and I believe he sensed that they were more militant and more devoted to revolution. And that is, that was his subjective impression. He associated the Mensheviks more with intellectuals, uh, the socialist revolutionaries more with peasants. But I do know from my research that he collaborated with socialist revolutionaries and with Mensheviks when he was a young revolutionary. And when he was first becoming a revolutionary, he, he even admitted later on that he didn't sense such great differences between the different parties, the different factions of revolutionaries, and he distributed literature that was published by various revolutionary groups. It was only as he became closer to Lenin, but not e- even before he became closer to Lenin when he became a more seasoned revolutionary and more, and uh, higher up and having more responsibilities within the Bolshevik party, I think that he identified more closely with them. And certainly being in prison in 1905, he was imprisoned with more experienced workers who were Bolsheviks, so he tied his identity to theirs.
2: Now, after 1905, he, he goes into exile, and, and that's where he meets Lenin and starts to be more integrated and familiar with uh, exile circles in the socialist Russian socialist movement, but also socialists and, and unions in, in Western Europe. Um, and you point out that though uh, Shlapnikov respected Lenin and had a personal relationship with him, he didn't blindly agree with him and, and at some points even clashed with him. Uh, on occasion. Uh, what was his personal and political relationship with Lenin and, and with other Bolsheviks more generally? Because like you point out too, he had a long uh, love affair with uh, Alexander Kolontai.
0: Yes, that's a good question. Thank you. Uh, he, he did work in the revolutionary underground within Russia in 1906, 1907. And because uh, he, he attracted the attention of the Tsarist police authorities, he faced the threat of imprisonment. So he left in Late 1907, early 1908, he made his way from Russia to Western Europe, and first he stopped off to see Lenin. And there is a a funny story that a Bolshevik misrouted him, initially sent him to uh, Genoa instead of Geneva. Um, But he he eventually did find Lenin, and he he recalled Lenin told him to go to Paris and work there. And then Lenin relocated to Paris later, so he uh, socialized with Lenin. And but with other workers, too. And he was not the only Russian worker in Paris. There were a number of others there, and they had Russian units within the French trade unions. Uh, So he he, uh, became closer to Lenin, respected Lenin's, his erudition, uh, his Marxist learning, his reputation as a scholar. But he also felt that Lenin was committed to promoting worker revolutionaries within the party. At the same time, he was also close to French socialists, French trade unionists, and uh, when he, during World War One, when he was a, this key figure in the revolutionary underground, he was stationed much of the time in Scandinavia, and he worked a lot with the Swedish social democrats and became close to some of their uh, most left-wing activists. So, Um, And then he had this romantic relationship with Kollontai, which was also a working relationship, and she influenced him as well. So there were these multiple influences. He was committed to Lenin's ideological interpretation. I didn't find any evidence that he was attracted to any of the alternatives to Lenin among the Bolsheviks, such as Bogdanov's. Um, interpretation. Although some of the metal workers who were close to him were more attracted to Bogdanov's um, ideas, his thoughts. Um, Shlopnikov did not seem to be. And as as opposed to Lenin, he was able to work more easily with uh, various socialists without falling um, into such severe arguments with them that he would cut off relations. Lenin had this reputation for falling out with other Socialists and cutting off relations with them and trying to push them out of the organizations and the newspapers and journals that he, he edited. And Shlopnikov believed that they really needed to overcome these differences. He saw sometimes the theoretical differences that the emigre intellectuals argued about as minor compared to the overall need to organize to build a stronger organization. So he felt as if they, that Lenin and some of the others who were more intellectual, he should be able to overcome their differences on matters of theory in order to collaborate in this common organizational effort. So he did have somewhat of a distrust of intelligente. The comrades who were closest to him were generally from the metal movement, his fellow metal workers who he had worked with both in the workplace and in the revolutionary underground in mm-hmm. St. Petersburg.
2: Yeah, it it seems to be a consistent theme for him that you uh uncover that his I don't know if the what the word is exactly, it's he he doesn't really have time for this and he's not attractive to this minutia of splits and differences and minor debates about theory. He doesn't seem to really get embroiled in a lot of personal infights. And this is really in contrast to the reputation that Lenin had, and I, I found it really interesting that he seemed to put the the greater effort more on the forefront than his own stature as a you know individual revolutionary amongst a group of others. I mean, here I'm I'm thinking about this because I'm reading I'm at the moment I'm reading a biography of Karl Marx, and Marx was very much more like the Lenin type than than the other way around.
0: Yeah, Shostakovich became frustrated with the squabbles among the emigre intellectuals, and he would sometimes threaten Lenin that, "Well, I'll just go back to work in a factory if you you're going to allow these squabbles to undermine our efforts to to organize and to communicate with Russia." And uh, he he did uh, travel around quite a bit during World War One. He went into Russia several times and returned illegally crossing borders. Uh, he left what, what he felt as if the squabbles between Bukharin and Lenin and Bush and Pyotrkov uh, were becoming too intense over the journal Communiste and the issue of national self-determination. During World War I, he left the scene. He went to New York in order to try to raise funds for the Bolsheviks.
2: Now, he turns to Russia and he's in Petrograd and he's one of the key Bolshevik leaders at the start of the, the revolution in February 1917. Uh, What was his contributions to the revolution throughout the year? And, um, and where did he stand on some of its key turning points? So, for example, the return of Lenin in April, July days, the, relationship with the provisional government uh, these kind of main issues that we all know during the course of 1917
0: yes he had returned to russia before the february revolution broke out and he was the leading member in the of the russian bureau of the central committee the main leadership was abroad the most senior bolsheviks were not in petrograd when the revolution broke out so shlopnikov was the most senior bolshevik there and he did not expect the unrest in Petrograd to bring down the Tsarist regime. So like most of the other socialists who were on the scene or in exile, this was something that he did not see coming. He was accused later on, Trotsky accused him of not assisting the February Revolution. There was a, a Weborg committee, Vyborg uh, district of Petrograd Committee Bolshevik, who accused Shlopnikov of not wanting to arm the workers at the crucial moment in the February Revolution. And Shlopnikov later said, well, we wanted to bring the soldiers over to our cause. We didn't want to arm the workers prematurely and, and alienate the soldiers. So we wanted to bring them over. But in reality, they were all just taken aback and surprised. He was involved, though, with a key, key group of socialists, from different factions who helped to form the Soviet, So he was one of the founding members of the Soviet, of workers and soldiers deputies, and a key figure in that. Did not favor collaboration with the provisional government, cooperation with it. When communists, Lev communists, and Stalin came back from exile, they swung the Bolsheviks in Petrograd towards a more moderate position, more collaboration with the provisional government. And that's something that Shlopnikov was not in favor of, but they he was junior to them and they pushed him from the scene, and he was unwilling to bring their differences into the open in a way that would undermine the Bolsheviks. I think he was relieved to see Lenin come back because he was closer to Lenin's position on the revolution in the early phase. And yet uh, Shlopnikov didn't think it was timed for the Bolsheviks to try to engineer an armed uprising, certainly. There were some radical Bolsheviks like those in Vyborg that, that wanted a revolution right away, uh, uh, engineered by the Bolsheviks, and shlopnikov felt that was premature. They didn't have enough support. But he, he was generally in line with Lenin's stance towards the provisional government on the question of the war, and L- Lenin wanted to move quickly towards a uh, Bolshevik, a seizure of power by the Soviets, towards the Soviet re- replacing the provisional government. But that was something that they needed to organize for. Uh, Shlopnikov was, he had a car accident in April 1917. And that further removed him from the, from party politics. And he, he was involved in organizing the Red Guards, the workers militia and uh, he became immersed in the trade union movement in the spring and summer of 1917 so he he was um distanced from party politics for the middle part of 1917 and was busy organizing the metal union
2: now he was he was heavily involved. I mean, this is his main baliwick in terms of it union movement, working class politics, the economic issues. And and he's Shlopnikov is best known for his role in the workers' opposition after the Russian Civil War. Uh, what was the workers' opposition and, and how did the factional fights of the twenties in general look from his perspective?
0: Well, the workers' opposition was a movement of trade unionists, leaders of industrial trade unions. Many of them were from the metal workers union, and some of them had other positions outside the union, such as administrators of industry or positions in the party or Komsomol or in the, the courts. But many of them did have backgrounds as metal workers. And they believed that during the Civil War, while many of the workers and Bolsheviks of uh, working-class background were on the front fighting the Civil War, that the Soviet bureaucracy had been filled with people who were not true revolutionaries of working-class background, and that the Soviet's bureaucracy had taken charge of the economic policy and had disempowered working-class people from Exercising influence over economic policy, and that there was a new attitude in Soviet institutions of viewing workers as just material from which to forge the regime without giving them decision making power, without giving them the ability to exercise control over the economy themselves.
2: How did he understand and view the, the factional infighting uh, in the 1920s after Lenin dies, the struggle for, for power? between Trotsky, Kamenev, Zinoviev, and Stalin, and Bukharin. Uh, Where where did he place himself in that?
0: Well, by that time, the the workers' opposition had been defeated, and in 1922, Shlopnikov had led another appeal to the Comintern um, about the repression directed against working-class communists in the party, and that was defeated. And he was almost expelled from the party in 1922. In 1921, after the workers' opposition was defeated, he was kicked out of the trade union movement. He lost his position as chair of the metalworkers' union, and many of his fellow worker oppositionists also were expelled from the trade union movement and, and given new jobs. Um, so he, he had lost his power base by the time the left opposition um, arose by the time Trotsky was making his criticisms of Soviet industrial policy in twenty three twenty four. Yet there were a lot of working class communists who respected Shlopnikov and and considered his opinion. So he was still allowed to publish in the press whenever there was a period of open discussion. And and I I feel they were they were critical of both Trotsky's and the moderates' views and the the Troika's views at at that time. He wanted greater presence of workers in leading uh, Communist Party bodies, so that was an agenda for him. The program of the workers' opposition became somewhat obsolete during the conditions of the new economic policy, so he was not continuing to defend the program of the workers' opposition, which called for trade unions to direct the economy. And he wanted greater attention paid to heavy industry, more of an investment by the government In heavy industry. So like a lot of other communists, he was um, dissatisfied with the emphasis of the new economic policy on the countryside.
2: Beginning in the, the late 1920s, Shalabnikov is he's, he's in the process of writing his memoirs of his experience in, in the revolution. And as Stalin is consolidating his power, he's uh, Shalabnikov begins to be repeatedly criticized for the contents of his memoirs, the various ways he portrays events in the revolution. And he's also drawn into various scandals uh, connected to other members of the party criticizing Stalin's policies. Um, he's finally expelled in 1933. How did Shlopnikov respond to the attacks against him? And what were the final years of his life like until his execution in 1937?
0: Shlopnikov's memoirs were document-based. Uh, he and, and others who wrote about party history, revolutionary history in the early to mid-1920s took, took the approach of consulting the documents and consulting sources that didn't just emanate from the Bolsheviks, but from other parties as well. He used newspapers. So his memoir histories are highly respected by historians uh, in the West, um, as well as in Russia. Yet in the late 20s, some of the the party ideologists uh, supported by Stalin were pushing a more ideologically based approach to the history, which would serve the purpose of um, accentuating the role of the party in in the revolution, and, and uh Shlopnikov was attacked. And he responded in a way that said he he said I am willing to rewrite and correct errors. Yet he stubbornly maintained that insistence on using documents in his approach, and he didn't conform to to the um, party ideologists' attempt to reshape how history was written. So his works were banned um eventually he was purged in 1933 he appealed to multiple levels all the way to the the highest level the the central purge commission and he defended his past he gave a long autobi- autobiography um detailing everything he had done for the party during his past and he was subjected to enormous pressure to denigrate his past and he refused to he broke down at the last purge session. He was expected to make a, an exemplary recantation of his past in order to be readmitted to the party, but he never offered that. And, and so he was sent into a strange sort of quasi-exile in 1934 to the far north. Uh, he was sent up to work on the White Sea Canal project, but he didn't spend very a very long time there. He was brought back to Moscow and uh, was sort of kept in a a holding pattern, I suppose. He was not given any work, and he didn't get a salary, and he was uh, selling off his tools and trying to write his memoirs, hoping that they would allow him to continue to publish his, his memoirs and that he could earn some income in that way. He was hoping to be allowed to go abroad. At the end of 34, he appealed to be allowed to go abroad for medical treatment, he had a a disease meniere's syndrome which gave him vertigo and hearing loss
2: but but he's arrested after kirov is is assassinated or or murdered i should say again as part of the sweep of former oppositionists
0: yes he was in early 30 in january 35 he was arrested in the wake of that and and investigated interrogated multiple times and he never gave the kind of confession that the nkvd interrogators were pressuring him to give. Uh, he didn't confess to having been part of a conspiratorial organization to assassinate key Soviet leaders. He did make a few concessions. He he confessed that, that um, there had been some anti-party statements in some of the correspondence between him and some of the other, some of his comrades who had been in the workers' opposition long before. But he steadfastly insisted that neither he nor they had been part of a conspiracy directed against the Soviet regime. Nevertheless, he was uh, sent to prison, um, an internal isolator in the Urals, and his health became very poor there. And he was allowed to, he was released from prison, unlike a a number of others, unlike Zinoviev, Komuniv, he was released from prison at the end of 35 and allowed to go into internal exile in Astrakhan. But he was rearrested in September of 36, brought back to Moscow, interrogated and refused to confess to having been part of a conspiracy directed against the regime. And then he was tried secretly and shot in September of 1937. It looked as if they were try the the NKVD was attempting to cook up a case of the workers' opposition, but it just didn't come together. And I'm not saying really that the workers' oppositionists were unique in that regard. We know about the major show trials in which Zinoviev and Kamenev confessed, and Bukharin seemed to, in this cagey way, uh, oblique way, contest the charges. Uh, although some people disagree over whether uh, the extent to which he actually did contest. The charges, but uh, there were there may have been a number of cases and there were a number of cases that were half cooked that never made it to public trial, whether that was because there weren't the resources to bring them all to public trial or they they just didn't come together for one or another reason um, That's part of the story of the purges too. It's not just the public trials, but all of these cases that were halfway prepared but didn't come together. that tells the story I think of the terror. Um, too.
2: Yeah, this is this is I think one of the, your your big points that you're trying to illustrate about through his life through Sholokhov's life, and that is that he he doesn't fall into the pattern that's been Soviet uh, historiography over the last twenty years of a of a Stalinist mentality of of giving oneself to the party of this engaging in this open ritual of self criticism. Uh, you write that he he maintained his own sense of self as a Bolshevik. And so what What does this say about Shilopnikov versus other old Bolsheviks, like Kamenev, Zinoviev, or Bukharin, who writes this letter to Stalin in the last days of his life, or somebody even like Yezhov, who is completely unapologetic and apparently says that he'll die with Stalin on his lips. How do you compare Shilopnikov to them?
0: Well, it may be partially because he had this pre-revolutionary experience as a working class bolshevik that helped him to maintain this sense of identity and as, have, as of having contributed to the party in a way that would prevent him from denigrating himself in the way that some of the others did i think it was partially also the childhood as an as an old believer the having been part of a community of dissenters that had this legacy of standing up to authority that gave him the confidence and the stamina, the stubbornness as well to maintain his own identity. And there was also an element of logic in in his thought processes as well. Uh, he He kept pointing out in letters that he wrote to the higher police and party authorities during his interrogations and imprisonment that, you know, I know what you expect of me. I know you expect me to denigrate my past and say that throughout my whole life I was opposed to the party, but I cannot see how this would benefit the party. In my opinion, this would only give material to our enemies to undermine us.
2: Uh, I understand that his son uh, Yuri Shalapnikov died just a few days ago. So what happened to his family after his execution, and, and how did his son end up in the United States because he, he lived in New Jersey? Is that correct?:
0: Yes, um, Shlapnikov had a wife and three children, three young children. When he was executed in 1937, his children were eleven and seven and five years old. So Yuri was, was fortunately not old enough to risk execution as well or imprisonment, The Shlopnikov's wife was imprisoned, and the children were separated and sent to different orphanages. Uh, Yuri was kept separate from the younger two. Eventually, after a little while, the younger two were reunited in the same orphanage, and they were allowed to visit one another during the war. So they were all raised in orphanages, and then after World War II, their mother was released, and they were not allowed to live together, but they all did live in the area of um, Gorky, which is now Nizhny Novgorod again. It had been Nizhny Novgorod before the revolution. The two um, older children, Yuri and Irina, became chemistry students. They studied at Gorky State University. And uh, the younger one, Alexander, when he became of age, he went to Moscow to work in construction. And all three were arrested in the wake of um, World War II, as Stalin again clamped down and, and repressed various groups, including the close relatives of those he had executed in the 1930s. So Yuri and Alexander, the two boys, were both sent to prison camps. Irina, the, the girl, was sent to internal exile in Siberia, and their mother was again sent into to a sentence, and her, her health um, became very poor. Uh, She she suffered from a lot of um, demobilizing health conditions. They were all released when Khrushchev came to power after Stalin died. At different times, Though Irina first, and then the two boys uh, later, and they resumed, uh, the, the two older ones resumed their education. Yuri became a professor of chemistry and head of a laboratory in the Academy of Sciences. He returned to Moscow. He was such an exceptional chemist, that he was given a position in Moscow, and uh, he brought the rest of the family along with him back to Moscow. So they, from the late 50s, they all again lived in Moscow, and uh, Yuri's uh, accomplishments included publishing a textbook, which was translated into English. It's about uh, polymers, and he was very, for a very long time prevented from traveling abroad, but um, he did travel to some of the socialist fraternal countries, and then under Gorbachev, he was able to go to Western countries and give lectures and go to conferences. His daughter was a scientist as well, and she acquired a postdoc at Duke University and then a job in the pharmaceuticals industry in New Jersey, and so he came to visit her, and eventually he stayed for longer periods, and became a U.S. citizen.
2: Fascinating story. Uh, Finally, after doing this biography uh, of Shalopnikov, what type of person do you think he was, and and what would you say is his historical legacy?
0: Some of the values that he maintained throughout his life may have come from the old belief, his honesty, his work ethic. Um, He also had an ironic sense of humor Of course, when he was a young person, that orientation against authority and that bitterness because of experiences he had had which frustrated his ambitions made him a militant. He was very militant and committed to a a violent cause uh, during his youth. But to him, I believe, organization held a higher priority than violent methods. And that's something I think that you could see unfolding as he became a more mature revolutionary, the emphasis on um, organizing people and giving people power through organization to achieve autonomy and to be creative and and to be free from exploitation. He was practical. He was charming. He had an ironic sense of humor, which appealed to many of his comrades and gave him a, a, a lot of acquired a a great deal of sympathy for him among his comrades, even among those close to Stalin. uh, He he managed to charm for a while, and I think that that helped him to avoid repression until the the mid-30s. I believe that that he represented a potential strain of communism that could accommodate institutions like trade unions as partners with the party in solving practical questions related to economic development. So it. Not necessarily that that he represented a type of communism that had real potential to vanquish Stalinism in the 1920s, but that, and it wasn't an alternative necessarily to Leninism, either a real alternative, but it just represents all the different nuances that were within the party under Lenin and Stalin.
2: That was Barbara Allen, an associate professor of history specializing in the history of the Russian revolutionary movement and the early Soviet regime. She's the author of Alexander Shalapnikov, 1885 to 1937, Life of an Old Bolshevik. I'm your host, Sean Gillery, and this is the SRB Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help support it, please take a moment to share it on Facebook and Twitter, like my Facebook page, Sean's Russia Blog, write a review on iTunes, or recommend the show to your friends. You can find past shows on iTunes or you can download them directly from seansrussiablog.org. Until next time, bye.
1: As soon as you're born, they make you feel small By giving you no time instead of it all Till the pain is so big you feel nothing at all A working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be They hurt you at home and they hit you at school They hate you if you're clever and they despise a fool Till you're so fucking crazy you can't follow their rules. A working class hero is something to be. A working class hero is something to be. When they tortured and scared you for 20 odd years.